Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, once again, we have this opportunity to look in and read what was a personal letter uh, or a letter to a church written nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet, even though it's written to particular people and places, it remains useful in this, with this particular people and place here in Kingston. Please give us uh, an openness to hear what it says. Uh, send your spirit to convict us as necessary, to train us as necessary, to shape us as necessary, to help us to be your people gathered here for your glory. Amen. So how does this whole chapter fit together? What are we to do with uh, Paul's plans, his instructions, his greetings as he finishes this letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth? We can summarise it in one word and that's partnership. And the reason why that word is so good is because it's so active. You can be a passive brother or sister. You might have one in your family. Uh, they don't really want to engage or invest or kind of work at connection. For whatever reason, they would kind of rather just go it on their own. You can passively be a member. The classic example is the gym membership that you pay for but never actually use. Partnership becomes this great word for describing what it is for us to relate to one another in the church because it's so active, mutually invested. And it's fitting that we have uh, this passage today as we welcome new members into our church community. Now, we didn't do this on purpose. I only figured it out that it was connected on Monday when I started looking at this passage. It's one of those nice things that God does providentially for us. Uh, but it's great to have this idea of partnership as we uh, bring these new members in. They've just finished with the belonging course uh, and now they're joining us as members. And that belonging course has gone through four topics over four weeks. Week one, who is Jesus? Uh, we get on the same page at the beginning with who Jesus is and what it means to have hope in him. Uh, the second, one, uh, second week is belonging to church. Why would a Christian belong to a local church? Uh, and the reasons why we would express our faith in Christ by connecting ourselves with a particular group of believers to, to grow with, uh, care for and serve with. Week three, we think about Kingston Christian Reformed Church. Who are we? What are we about? Uh, what's our vision and our mission? Uh, what's our theological beliefs? Uh, how is our leadership structured and our uh, purpose team structured? Those sort of things. And then week four, what does partnership look like? What are the commitments we make to one another as we are uh, partnering together within the church? And then what are the commitments the leadership make to each of you as we lead this church? Uh, and so partnership is at the heart of what we think about when we consider what it means to be a member of this community. And we've actually made a subtle shift in our language. The kind of tagline for the membership team used to be loving to belong, which is good 
and we want to do it, that's a fantastic thing, but it can also swing quite individual and be about me and whether I feel as I'm getting what I want. And so we've changed the language from loving to belong to being in loving community. I want to express uh, this idea that we are actively invested together, gathering to worship together, hearing God's word together, growing, caring, serving together. The self-giving love of Christ for uh, Christ-like love for one another is the evidence that we are Jesus' disciples and so we want to be in loving community. The Bible doesn't actually have categories uh, for church uh, as an event that you would come to primarily for your own personal benefit. That idea that you come here for your own good is more culturally shaped than it is reflective of Jesus. Body, family, household, building, flock, temple, all of these ideas express a belonging and a dependence on one another in community. And that partnership together comes out in all these encouragements and uh, instructions that Paul gives at the end of his letter and leads us to our big idea today. Christians are not independent individuals, but are partnered in Christ Jesus locally and globally. Now that partnership includes plans, provision, people and perseverance in the faith. Yes, I had to work hard to make them all start with P. Um, but we'll look at each of those in turn as we look at what partnership is together in the gospel. And so firstly, partnership means provision or generosity. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with the gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Like other aspects of this letter, it appears that the Corinthians have asked Paul about the collection. And this gift is a wonderful expression of unity uh, with believers in Jerusalem who find themselves in a pretty severe place of need. It's an expression of unity in the broad number of churches across Asia and Greece who are participating in this gift. And it expresses unity in the fact that the generosity goes across that great historical divide of Jew and Gentile together. It's partnership. And Paul actually addresses this idea of giving in all of his major letters, in Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and in Galatians, showing this idea of generous giving for the sake of the gospel is far more than just this one-off event. Um, in some cases, that's food, lodging, travel assistance, like Timothy's going to need when he's sent off on his way in verse 11. In other cases, uh, like in Paul's time in Corinth, the Macedonian church is actually supporting Paul so he could give himself to the work of the gospel full time. We see that in Acts 18. The money is to be set aside on the first day of the week. The day the church is gathering together to worship and remember their resurrected Lord. 
And this suggests that the setting aside of this money is not kind of going into a personal piggy bank, but it's actually being entrusted to the church leaders for um, safekeeping and safe transport. Because otherwise the day of the week really doesn't matter at all. Paul clearly sees money, the offering of money, as integral to worship. A tangible expression of our love for God and our neighbour. And so Paul is urging them towards this free and joyful act of giving in accordance with their income, which allows for good or bad weeks within their society. It invites a genuine, unforced heart gift towards the God who has loved us and been generous towards us. Now, occasionally I'll get asked by one of our members, why does the giving portion of our church seem so kind of apologetic or embarrassed? They ask, isn't it also part of our worship? Isn't it equally as much worship as when we sing together as a church? Now, I'll admit, as a, as a service leader and today as a preacher, it is a bit awkward talking about money. We don't want people to think that we're about their money when what we're really about is their hearts before God. However, the biblical reality is, is that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where you invest your time, your energy and your money influences the things that your heart treasures. The reason why Graham is so passionate about the work of the Philippines uh, that they were raising money for at the car wash yesterday is because he's been there. He's invested. Same goes for me with the work of SWIM or MTS or Open Doors. They are joyful and desirable to me because I am invested in them. That's why if we want to be about our hearts towards God, we need to talk about our time and our energy and our money. Your treasure will set the joys of your heart, your worship. In his book, The Treasure Principle, uh, Randy Alcorn uh, talks about how once per year he would sit down with his wife uh, and they would uh, work out their giving. It actually became quite a joy to them to be able to consider all the different possible Christian ministries and causes uh, that they could uh, invest in. What Paul describes here is an intentional setting aside. Even if you give electronically, Set yourself a review point so that it's not a forgotten direct debit but is actually a deliberate, joyful provision. Provision for this local church, for wider gospel ministry and for the care for the needy uh, that we long to look after. So uh, first way of um, partnership is provision. Second, partnership means plans. Have a look at verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. 
but I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many that oppose me. Is it right for Christians to make plans? Or is that somehow presumptuous? Uh, now Paul here, he seems comfortable to plan even around kind of those necessary things of weather. Here he shares his plans and he does it as an invitation for them to partner with him. Relationally in his longing to see them, but also in provision for the future journeys of his work. But that plan is not yet. There's an opportunity for Paul at this time for fruitful work in Ephesus. As we saw last week, he's fighting wild beasts there. His work is filled with opposition, with uncertainty and risk. But it happens that that place of risk also happens to be the place of greatest opportunity for the gospel. So Paul stays and continues his work. What is good for the gospel is good for Paul. And these plans are good, but they are provisional, if the Lord permits People of uh, biblical faith, as we read the Bible, uh, are kind of willing to go wherever the Lord wants them to go, even if that means a change in their well-intentioned plans. Paul is well-planned, but flexible. He's humble before God's wisdom, but he's also purposeful. And I think this gives us a helpful guide when we think about planning. We don't run ahead and ask God to kind of bless the plans that we've already made. We don't sit back apathetic, thinking that that's somehow more spiritual. We plan well, but we remain flexible for God's action. And so Paul shares these plans as an expression of partnership with the Corinthian church. We live in an individualistic society. And yet we are still honoured when people invite us in on their plans to contribute to them or uh, be part of them or ask for advice. Over the past 18 months or so, our group of elders have been kind of considering prayerfully what the next 10 years of this church might look like, if the Lord permits. Now, some of that uh, we've already sort of made note of as we've thought about raising leaders and investing in things like MTS. But the rest of it we look forward to sharing with you on Vision Sunday next year on the 4th of February. Whack that date in your diaries. We want you to be part of it as partners together. If this church is going to be your home, even if it's already been your home for more than 50 years, we invite you to become familiar with invested in, prayerful and actively partnered with the rest of this community. So partnership means plans. Thirdly, partnership means people. As Paul closes, relationships are deeply important to him. He's evidently concerned about the reception and ministry of workers like Timothy and Apollos and Stephanus. But he's equally uh, fond for the Corinthian church and they're very dear to him personally. Partnership is all about people. Have a look at verse 10. When Timothy comes, 
Uh, See to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now there's very little that Paul can do to guarantee a safe or peaceful ministry experience for, for Timothy or for Apollos or for Stephanus. And yet what he can do um, is give them a very warm recommendation and endorsement. The reality is that uh, ministry is messy, whether it's in Corinth or whether it's elsewhere. But these people are receiving Paul's endorsement and encouragement. Uh, contempt. Uh, what's contempt? It's where people are dismissed as inferior, of lacking merit. It's an attitude that's incompatible with the gospel. None of us have self-made worth. All of us were in equal need of the cross. The cross makes pursuing and honouring others, honouring of one another, a virtue worth pursuing. Read that in Romans chapter 12. Now that may require hard conversations like I imagine this one is here. It might mean approaching someone if uh, these things are not perceived to be happening. But that's what gospel partnership does. And for all the messiness in Corinth, verse 17, uh, as well as his longing to see them in the earlier verses, makes it very clear that Paul's relationship to the church of Corinth is deep and important to him. Have a look at verse 17. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve your recognition, deserve recognition. The arrival of these men supplied what was lacking. Now Paul's not being critical at this point. What was lacking was their personal presence with Paul. The refreshment of sparkling eyes and broad smiles in a face that you know and love. The bond experienced in a firm but drawn out hug. The joy of hearing a familiar voice. And the thrill of hearing stories about a church that you love. Presence made up for absence a couple of months ago i had the opportunity to go to the uk to go visit my sister and while i was there uh, i got to catch up with some dear friends of ours that we knew at bible college it was the first time uh, that i've seen someone in nine years of ministry uh, that i studied with and as we uh, spend that time together we, we we all got a little teary at the uh, way we were reflecting on how much it's kind of hurt not to have them around us. Uh, these are people who, who formed us, who shaped us, who encouraged us as we were being trained. We, we did a lot of life with them and we realised the, the cost of not having them with us in our lives. Uh, their ministry experience, uh, our ministry experience, it came with some struggles and some really hard times. Uh, and so even though it was only for a couple of hours, I realised how much I'd missed them and how special it was to be able to have community with them. Partnership does that. 
Gospel partnership forms deep bonds. If you can leave a church and it doesn't hurt, something's gone wrong. When ministry's tough, when I got phone calls from other churches, the idea of saying goodbye to this one crushes me. I deeply love the people that God has gathered here. It's what gospel partnership does. And it's not just when you leave. It's your absence generally. If you can skip church and not feel as though you're missing out on anything, something's gone wrong. Because we're missing out. It's why even if you go to another church and get a sermon or if you watch us online, it's not the same. We miss your presence with us and the refreshment of seeing faces that we love. Don't allow individual thinking to convince you that the only person it impacts is you. We are partnered together personally, with people and faces we know and love. And we're partnered more broadly and more globally, as the greetings in verse 19 uh, indicate. We have local and global partnership. Partnership means people. And then finally, partnership means perseverance. Have a look at verse 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Uh, the four things listed in verse 13 are the kind of things a general would say to his soldiers on the day of a battle. And this gives us a view that our partnership together also includes our perseverance. Because it has an impact on what that happens to those around us and how they stand. So be on your guard. For what? For the negative influences of Roman and Corinthian culture. If you think back through this letter now we're getting to the end of, there's been evidence of them kind of judging each other and treating each other on the basis of secular society standing rather than being brothers and sisters. There's been dangers of sexual immorality, of greed and of self-centred religion. Uh, Christians of every age uh, have this danger of reducing their commitment to God because they've allowed themselves to be seized by things of lesser value. Guard against it. Stand firm. It's a call to hold your ground rather than to flee or surrender or run away. And it's not simply to theology. It means persisting in our faith in a way that is consistent with what we believe. Anyone can subscribe to a theoretical idea. Standing firm means living it out in the messiness of life. And that's why we get this call to be strong and courageous. It's a, it's a regular Old Testament call. And it's only necessary under challenging conditions and circumstances. And so this is where the resurrection from last week is an absolute difference maker. If our hope 
in Christ is only for this life. We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised. And so we stand firm, unmoved. Paul's urging them to set themselves for perseverance. Standing firm in the faith, like giving, needs deliberate preparation. Faith like that cannot be sustained if it just fits in around everything else in our lives. As we head into the new year, lots of things are going to vie for your time and attention. Work, rest, leisure, physical health, spiritual health, kids' activities, church activities, nuclear family, broader family. Which things fit? around the rest if you plan to be on guard stand firm and persevere you're going to have to figure out which ones are the non-negotiables and let me let you in on a little secret we're in church less than we think we are the research suggests that we are we overestimate the amount of times we're at church by 16 percent even those who have committed to be here have to be firmly planted in priorities, otherwise it gets snatched up by other things. And if you're thinking that you would like to serve or to join a small group or to join a discipleship group, but you want to see what next year looks like before you decide to do it, it won't fit. Good things will crowd it out. And our perseverance and our partnership will suffer. What we choose to do is far more significant than those things that we say are important. What gets crowded out is an indication of what our true priorities are. Our kids notice. Those who stand by us notice. Standing firm is not for cowards. It requires a careful living out of the things that we say we believe. Undergirding all of this is love. That's been a key theme throughout the letter. The self-sacrificing, other-focused love of Christ is the model for his followers. It's what our partnership together is built on. You can do a lot for others, but still actually be really self-focused. It'll leave you vulnerable to bitterness, guilt, burnout, and judgment of others. If you've got bitter in service, or if you've looked down on others whose partnership has been flaky... What you've lost is love. Jesus' other-focused love gives us the ability to persevere in love even when the partnership is not coming back in return. Paul encourages the Corinthians in verse 20 to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now he includes that in the ending of four of his letters. 
all four of those letters have a degree of division uh, and frustration within the church. Now, I'm not advocating kissing. That might freak you out. But it is an encouragement to step toward one another in partnership, even when it's hard. Christians are not independent individuals, but are partnered in Christ Jesus locally and globally. Step towards one another in love. One day Jesus will return, verse 22. And that makes our relationship with him and our partnership with his people the most significant thing we do. Amen. Father, we thank you for partnership. That we don't walk through this Christian life on our own. That we're not left vulnerable in our weakness without any support around us. That we're not superstars who don't need help. We are people you've invited into partnership. Partnership with you and partnership with one another. Thank you for your generosity to us. Father, I pray that you would speak into our lives by your spirit, particularly for when we've adopted really individual views of what we do at church and why it matters. Give us a bigger, more purpose-filled picture of what you are doing than simply what best meets our needs on that day. Give us your grace. We don't want to be driven by guilt or fear or pressure. We want to be transformed by the hope of the resurrection, by the love we have for you and for your precious people that you've gathered us with. Guide us into this deeply, we pray. Amen.